Hello everybody. Labor Know Your Rights is brought to you by the National League of Justice and Security Professionals, where the members come first. We are now a proud member of Labor Radio Network. Looking for a radio program or podcasts on the labor movement? This is the network to find it. Simply go to www.laborradionetwork.org. Hi all, we are going to go back to some basics of unionism. Let's start with what a union is, as it has many aspects. Some think it is an organization dealing with wages and work conditions. Others believe a union is a social activist organization. Both are somewhat correct. But let's go to the most basic concept. A union is a group of workers banding together to deal with the power of the companies. All companies have power over individual employees, some more than others. Some have greater access to lawmakers. Some states are at-will termination states. Many companies join associations, which is similar to unions for companies. Unions are often organized in layers. Typically, there is a national layer and a local level. Both have executive boards. Nationals then have employees who fill different needs such as organizers, regional directors, and others. Locals have stewards who are not typically employees, but who work at the job sites. They do several jobs such as monitor the contract and employer actions to ensure the employer follows the contract. They also attend members' disciplinary meetings as a union representative and bless them as they do all this for free. At the local level, the members determine how strong the local is. If the members are militant, the local can be more forceful in their demand. The stewards can be more aggressive knowing the members will back them in any employer retaliation. The labor movement is not easily defined since it is not one organized group but many individuals organized together in many organizations. It is a bunch of individuals banding together to use numbers to demand a largest share of the profits for what they have produced in various forms such as increase in wages, health care, and other benefits, better work conditions and hours. The labor movement has and has had and will continue to be a long journey with many turns and twists. Since unions are a banding of individuals together, they will have great leaders and leaders who fall subject to human flaws such as the power involved, greed, corruption. Although I will point out these issues, I believe that unions overall have made a huge contribution to the lives of their members and to non-union members by raising the standards of living for all. Employers will always try for the largest profit margin they can get, and history has shown that most will do so despite the effect to the environment, employee safety, and to their employees. If you have any doubt, ask yourself how much your employer would pay you if it was solely up to them. Corporations are legally mandated to maximize their shareholders' value, and that alone. 
So the only thing that can get a corporation's attention is something that can reduce profits. This can be a strike, loss of employees, boycotts, to angering the public. To prevent you, the employee, from cutting into the profit, when an employer hears about employees organizing, most will start a misinformation campaign, often saying you will be no better off, that unions are outsiders, only seeking to increase their power and get rich. But in reality, we can compare wages and benefits between union members and non-union members and find the truth. In 1995, the difference in compensation was $16.14 included were wages, insurance, and pensions. We see this again if we look at corporations who operate in the U.S. and U.K. As U.S. workers are often paid far less compensation than in the U.K., which organized or have generous minimum wage laws fought for the labor movement. In our economic system, most have to sell our ability to work in order to live. When an employer buys that ability to work, they think of it as their private property. And it's with the rest of their private property, they feel they can do with it what they will. Thus, to our employer, we are no different than the machines or the supplies they own. Our employers feel free to treat us as they please. Unions give us a voice in our workplace by giving us a more equal footing with our employer, giving us one voice of the many. Unions give a social economic balance to capitalism that is necessary for it to work properly. If the balance is tipped too far in favor of business, the average worker will be too poor to buy the corporation's products. If the balance is tipped too far in favor of labor, the corporations would suffer low profits and have no incentive to stay in business, reducing the job market. As we have seen in economic history, unregulated capitalism leads to overproduction and underconsumption. Reoccurring financial crises by credit bubbles and asset price booms and busts. One of the things unions do is help protect the economic security of the middle class and protect the big capitalists from their own excesses. Unions have been at war with corporations for decades, fighting for a five-day work week for an eight-hour day, safe and survivable work conditions, and a wage one could raise a family and live on. Many died in the battle. Before unions, it was a person against a giant corporation representing accumulated capital power of a group of people. The power struggle between labor and management has been one of back-and-forth progress, one side gaining an advantage, then the other side gaining the advantage. The American colonies were founded on free labor for the most part, either in slavery or indentured servitude. Slaves were not considered human but as livestock, feed, clothed, and lodged just enough to keep them alive and productive. In the case of indentured servants, the boss had almost total control and would often extend the period of the contract by claiming the terms of the agreement were not kept. Other colonists were self-employed either on family farms are through their own trades and crafts. Some colonists became wealthy. The founding fathers were from the aristocrats, land-holding elite. Unions grew over time with many battles, some wins and some losses, but overall they made more wins, including wins in social battles such as for civil rights, anti-war movements, women's movements. Lewis Powell Jr., a member of the board of Philip Morris and 10 other corporate boards, wrote a memo to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce entitled Attack on American Free Enterprise Systems in 1971. 
This memo was a call against restrictions and regulations on what corporations could do. During the time of regulations, Americans had progressed. Bank regulations to help prevent depressions, corporations had to give benefits and improve working conditions. Wealth was spread around. The middle class grew. Unions gained the right to represent workers. Minimum wage laws were created. Social Security income was created, along with Medicare and Medicaid. The EPA came into effect. OSHA regulated safety in work sites. Two months later, President Nixon appointed Powell to the Supreme Court. Powell's memo outlined a plan of attack, including spreading the message through public speaking campaigns, taking over sources of public opinion such as universities, media, and the courts, constant surveillance of programs and textbooks, working for advantages within the political system, using think tanks, foundations, as fronts to push conservative values throughout society. As we know, this was a renewing of the class war and these same tactics continue today. Corporate America became a collective effort united to keep the capitalism and the aristocracy alive. They decided that the biggest threat to their system was conservative and reform organizations. This call for unity worked. In 1971, 175 companies had registered lobbyists in Washington. In 1982, lobbyist numbers were nearly 2,500. PACs in 1976 was fewer than 300, and by the mid-1980s, more than 1,200. Familiar foundations were formed, such as the American Legislative Exchange Council, ALEC, the Heritage Foundation, the Cato Institute, the Citizens for a Sound Economy, later renamed Americans for Prosperity. Some of the strategy corporations used was hiring public relations firms, setting up a business to provide office services to legislators. But they mainly wrote bills with titles given by PR firms that were less than accurate of the bill's intent. Nothing was considered too low to do, including smearing an environmental protection advocacy organization by writing a memo on the organization's letterhead promoting violence. AstroTurfing is creating a shell organization that appears to be powered by a grassroots support, but are actually fronts for corporate advocacy under false pretenses. Using vast access to money, they used lawsuits to intimidate and silence advocacy organizations, tying them up in lawsuits without any basis, often bankrupting them. California Chamber of Commerce formed the Pacific Legal Foundation, a conservative lit litigation center designed to help businesses shore up its ideological foundation. The American Legislative Exchange Council was formed in 1973 to campaign on right-wing morality issues such as anti-abortion rights and pro-school prayer. Big donations by corporations brought or bought the foundation to fight for corporate interests too. The Tillman Act of 1907 passed under President Theodore Roosevelt restricted how much corporations could use money to influence politics. The Taft-Hartley Act of 1947 did the same for unions. Unions came up with a workaround, and eventually corporations used it too. The PAC, Political Action Committee, they were a way union members could pool their money for political donations. Corporate PACs were made legal by the Federal Election Campaign Act 
1971 and 1974, permitting stockholders to pool money, but they could not solicit money from employees. But in 1975, this was changed by the SunPAC ruling and also allowed use of money from the corporate treasures to operate PACs. In 1978, corporations, unions, and wealthy individuals were given the right to donate money for party building activities as long as it was, it was not directly used to influence federal elections. Then the Enron scandal broke. Enron had provided George W. Bush a private jet during his 2000 presidential campaign and given money to many of the major power wielders in the legislature. Setting up the mood for new campaign finance regulations such as the McCain-Fingold Act in the Senate, similar Shays-Mahan bill in the House of Representatives, which were combined to remove the ability of PACs and individuals to donate money for party-building activities. But corporations took this to the Supreme Court, which was ultra-conservative at the time, who handed down a ruling later to be named the Citizens United ruling, which stated, Congress has no right to prohibit corporations from giving as much money as they want to influence politics. When Reagan became president, he takes on PATCO and its members. The air traffic controllers go on strike over wages and retirement. They walk off the job and Reagan gives them a deadline to return to work or they will be fired. Most refuse and are fired. We end up with 30 years of Reaganomics in the 1980s, poverty climbs, people are working more hours for less pay with far less security. The vast majority are in many ways worse off than they were in the 1970s. Trickle-down economics failed. Corporate America moved to an era of super greed. If a company was not making huge profits or a factory was not producing enough profit, it was sold. Often to create a new factory in either an area or country, where labor was cheaper to increase profits. Some corporations went into hostile takeovers just to sell off assets of other corporations. Eventually, there was nothing left to sell. Corporations went to cheating, lying, and false fraudulent books and reports to appear profitable, such as Enron. Reduction in regulations resulted in investment banks being able to make deals with banks. The results was a disaster. Investment banks started buying mortgages in bulk from banks at the mortgage value plus interest minus a point or two from the interest. Eventually, the banks started making sketchy loans with the intent of selling them off before they were defaulted on, not caring because they would have their money from the sale. Investment banks bought them in blocks of 10000 selling them in those blocks to investors, not only knowing they were likely to be defaulted on, but insuring them so they could collect when they did. When the real estate bubble busted, these banks had been so greedy, they still had so many mortgages that were worthless. The loans taken to buy them left them owing more money than they had, thus creating the concept of too big to fail. If they failed, the economy would be so affected that the country would be thrust into a Great Depression. Let's discuss the free market ideal since for rich capitalists it is almost a religion. They believe in it so much that 
The lack of evidence has no effect on them. Some are so extreme in their ideology that they believe the principle of supply and demand determines everything a business does. That if something can not survive on the money it makes, it should not exist. That no public property or services should exist, even to the point that if a person for whatever reason cannot make enough to live on, they should perish. The only thing that they believe should not be legal that has survived the free market is collective bargaining and should be outlawed. In Wisconsin in 2011, under Governor Scott Walker, the Republican-controlled state legislature, which passed a law banning collective bargaining in state jobs. This means that the capitalists can join together, combine their capital into massive corporations with great power, but the workers must only deal with the corporation individually. But the United States has a Federal Reserve, which is not part of the government at all. It controls the dollar. The Federal Reserve has more power than the government in that it determines the prime interest rate, which determines how much it costs to borrow money. In effect, giving the Federal Reserve the power to control the economy, slowing it down when it is too hot, thus preventing inflation. So the powers that be claim. According to free market theory, when it generates so much economic activity, more jobs are created, giving labor more choices between jobs, so employers have to increase wages to attract labor. This increases prices to cover the expense involved in wage increases, causing the start of inflation. So the Federal Reserve intervenes when economic indicators reach specific points. They raise the prime interest rate, reducing economic activity by raising the cost of borrowing money. This slows economic activity and reduces the availability of investment money, thus reducing jobs. The process keeps inflation from getting out of control but increases unemployment. Capitalists do not want full employment, so they actually embrace the Federal Reserve even though they prevent a free market existing. But this whole system is worse than we think because it means that a certain level of unemployment is acceptable. Although they force this level of unemployment, they do not want to provide any form of safety net. This forces these people to take desperate measures to save even though the system pushed them into unemployment. What is amazing is that conservatives still state that everyone should have a job. Those that do not are lazy and do not want a job. That is their own fault for not having a job, yet still fall back to the free market. But the argument is based on a huge lie as we do not have a free market, proven by the fact of the Federal Reserve. But in reality, a free market does not exist anywhere in the world. Let's take a look at corporate law. It was evolved not through legislation, but by interpretation of corporate lawyers that have been built into purpose of corporations to maximize the revenue of shareholders. This leaves out any obligation to those who work for the company and to the community in which the company operates. The system considers wages as only an expense, not an investment into the people who make your company possible and who one day might advance to manage your company are a part of it. Similar to the fuel system, if the corporation pollutes the environment, destroys or uses up the resources of the community, or makes the community unlivable for its residents, 
is no concern to the corporation. Please share this podcast with your family and friends. Thank you for listening.